0: Judges chapter 10, uh, verse 6. Let's get started. And this is historical narrative. It's telling the story. So we're going to read quite a bit here um, as we kick this off. So Judges chapter 10, verse 6. It says, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites, and they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also and the Amalekites and the Maonites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Okay, so one of the things that that we see throughout the book of Judges is every time Israel worshipped the idols of a particular nation, that nation ended up oppressing them. It's crazy. Every time they adopt an idol from whatever nation it may be that surrounds them, they end up becoming oppressed by that very nation. And that really speaks to the truth that uh, idolatry, which is worshiping uh, anything outside of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, idolatry leads to slavery. And not only does idolatry lead to slavery, but here's what's really interesting. Slavery leads to idolatry. Okay, now, now, how does that happen? Well, you would think, at least I would think, that once uh, a nation was oppressing Israel, that Israel would then reject the gods of that nation. At least that's what I would think because uh, remember when they were oppressing other nations, they would say, our God is leading this. Our God is giving us success in this. Our God has said, this land is now ours, okay? So uh, what's crazy uh, is that you would think that once the nation of Israel was being oppressed by a people group that was saying, our God is leading us into this, that Israel would then reject that God, right? Would, would, Would go, wait a second, this God is against us. But we actually see the opposite. And in chapter three, the Ammonites, they had oppressed Israel already But here we are in chapter 10, and Israel is now serving their gods, which leads to what? Enslavement to the Ammonites again. So despite their pain, their misery, the trauma that that had caused, Israel continued to worship the same idols that had let them down and led them into trouble. Now, it is so easy for me to read that and look back hundreds of years ago and go, what were you thinking? That is crazy, that is ridiculous. How could you not have learned? Uh, How could you not have changed out of that pattern? But the question I was confronted with is, have we really changed since then? Have our heart, can't talk anymore. Are our hearts any different? See, one of the things that, I, that I, I find as I was wrestling with that is we still think that when an idol leads to slavery, that what we need is more of that idol, which blows my mind. So if, if, if for example, if, if I seek my value and my purpose in a relationship and I elevate my desire for this relationship above, uh, above God and that relationship doesn't work out, what do I do? What do we typically do? We go, I need someone better than that. Someone different that's not like them at all. We don't pause and go, man, my priorities seem to be way off here. Like I am placing my desire there for this fulfillment out of this relationship. I'm placing this above my Lord and Savior, what is going on? We don't do that, do we? We go, no, that didn't work out. I need something or someone better. We do the same thing with opportunities when it comes to like a job or a promotion or a position, right, where we're like, I, man, I need that position. I want that to happen. I, I I do everything. I rework my schedule, my family, my life in order to achieve that. And, and maybe you even achieve that position, but then all of a sudden it doesn't fulfill you. It doesn't measure up. Uh, a boss lied to you. The situation wasn't what you thought it was. All those things happen, and, and you don't pause in that moment and go, wait a second, this has a hold of my heart. What do we do? Well, I need a different job, a better job, and one that's going to do more. And, and so what I, I see is we enter into the same patterns that, that they were doing. Uh, it's just ours are more socially acceptable. It's not as dramatic as worshiping this golden image, right? And and so we're, we're in this cycle, and I think so many of us find ourselves there, or we're on the other side of this where we keep returning to these practices, this idolatry that clearly earlier in our lives led us into incredible pain, hurt, depression, discouragement, hopelessness. And it's crazy though, because we say what? We're like like the nation of Israel. Well, I'm different now. Well, now now I'm a Jesus follower. Now I worship God. Uh, I'm I'm more mature. I'm married now. All these things are things that we will say and we'll use them as excuses to go back into a pattern that led us into slavery before. And ultimately it's going to what? It's going to do it again. And so we have to identify that. Now, as the nation of Israel is worshiping the idols of the Philistines and the Ammonites, God is clearly angry. He's upset at what they're uh, doing. And so it says what? That he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites. Now, this is a phrase, if you've been hanging, uh, hanging around with us for a little while, you've heard this before. Because uh, in chapter two, he said that, in chapter three, and in chapter four, he said, he said the very same uh, phrase. And w- w- what does it mean? Uh, it literally means that he removed his hand of protection from them. In other words, he, he says, okay, you want to worship that. I'm going to let the thing that you want to serve take ownership of you which is what you're saying you want, right? Says, okay, you, you want to worship that? I'm going to let you have that. And you're going to get all of it to the point where it's going to consume you. And, and, and so we, we see that God is saying, and this is what's so amazing, the judgment for idolatry is idolatry, right? I mean, he's saying, you want idolatry? You can have idolatry then. And, and you're gonna worship it. And it's gonna overwhelm. It's gonna consume uh, you. It is gonna be an overwhelming desire. In fact, Paul in Romans 1, he talks about that. The, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and all of that. And when, it, and when it uses the term lust there in the Greek, it's literally an uncontrollable desire, right? An enslaving desire. In other words, it's, it's literally got control of you. You don't have control of, of it. And God is saying, if you want that, if you wanna live for the fulfillment of that, there you go have it. And so today, if, if, if I go, uh, if I'm living for money, <laughs> the worst thing that can happen is God say, okay, great. Go have that. Money's going to rule your life. It's going to control your heart. Go for it. If I'm saying, God, I, w- I want to be popular. I want notoriety. I want uh, an influence. Uh, it, it's him saying, okay, that's going to own your life. You're going to want, you're going to need that. It's never going to be enough. It's going to take ownership of you. And I always tell people, the scariest judgment to me is the thought of God giving me what I want. It's a scary thought. And and so the oppression that Israel has been under has lasted 18 years at this point. And, and it's included all of Israel. I mean, the Philistine and the Ammonite armies, they invaded all over the place. And so the Israelites, they finally they just cry out to the Lord. They're like, God, God, we need you. And what does he say? He, he responds by reminding them of all the times historically he's already intervened and saved them. And he says, I've saved you here in Egypt and, and all these moments. I've even saved you from these very people before. And yet each and every time I've done that, you as a people group continue to turn away from me and then pursue idolatry again. So guess what? I am not going to save you here. Call out to the gods that you've chosen instead of me. Now, what is, what is, what is God bringing to the surface? Well, one is he's bringing to the surface the actual intent and desires of their heart, uh, which are what? It's not to honor and please him. They just know they're in pain and misery, and they want that to be relieved. So that's why they're crying out to the Lord. They're saying, hey, we know, we realize we're in trouble because we broke your rule. So will you just please help us out of trouble? which your kids have never done, right? But you guys, repentance, that's not repentance, is it? True heartfelt repentance. True heartfelt repentance is a, a conviction of what was done. It means I am convicted at, at the core of who I am, at my heart, whether I was caught, whether I got in trouble or uh, not. And, and what we see here is they're sorry for the consequences of their sin, but they're not sorry for their actual sin. They're treating God just like the other idols, aren't they? Uh, they're, they're trying to make the right statements, the right sacrifices in order uh, to get him to exert his power so that he saves them from uh, the struggle that they're in. So he's like, no, I'm not going to do that this time. But then we see in verse 15, they finally get it, don't they? They say, do with us as you wish, that we still beg for mo- mercy. And what you're seeing there in verse 15 is you're seeing an actual change of heart bearing with repentance. See, before the motivation was comfort, control, uh, the condition of their lives, but now they're willing to admit to God, God, you are under no obligation to save us. You're under no obligation uh, to take away our uh, troubles. And, and what we're saying to you, Lord, is we want you even if it means we continue to suffer. We want you regardless. Now, Now, why is that a sign of, real, genuine faith of, 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 of repentance. See, if we say, God, I want you because I need you to give me whatever it may be, what that's revealing is that that position, that job, that influence, that relationship is really my ultimate God. But, but when I say, God, I, I want you, I want you regardless of whether or not you give me that promotion, that opportunity, that situation, that relationship, that favor, whether or not you give that to me, God, I'm gonna choose to love you and I'm gonna choose to worship you. And so what we're doing when we have that posture and it's the condition of our heart is we're saying, I am declaring that you are the true God. And yes, I want that to happen. I feel like I need it to happen, but God, ultimately, if it doesn't, you are my Lord and you are my savior. And that's enough. And not only do they declare that, but, but they, they, they take these tangible steps that show repentance, right? Because to repent is to turn. And so what they do is they get rid of their foreign gods uh, showing that, that, listen, we know that these in our homes, in our lives are causing us to continue to stumble right back into that pattern. So we're removing them, we're getting them out. Historically, when they would do this, they would still hold on to some idols uh, in in their homes as insurance policies, right? In case it didn't work out. But here, they're getting rid of of all of it, and so we're, we're seeing that there is change to the heart, not just behavior. and And so, this true repentance that we're observing, it's something that um, is outside of just motives, or well, it's beyond behavior, and it's going to the root, which is our motives. And so when we think of, of, of repentance, you guys, when you just think within a, just a Christian context of repentance, repentance is literally to have sorrow over sin. In other words, I grieve that that sin happened. I grieve that I did that. I don't grieve over that because I was caught. I don't grieve over that because, because it necessarily maybe hurt people or no, I grieve because I sinned. And then I grieve over my motives. I grieve over looking and going, man, my desires are not honoring and pleasing the Lord here. Guys, that's when repentance happens. And so God responds to this repentance and he brings about his incredible mercy in verse 16. He goes, okay, I'm, I'm gonna respond to this oppression. And so in verse 17 of chapter uh, 10, this is what it says. It says, then the Ammonites were called to arms and they encamped in Gilead and the people of Israel came together and they encamped at Mizpah. And uh, And the people, the leaders of Gilead said one to another, who is this man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite was a mighty warrior the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of top. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we might fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned to you now that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be witness between us if we not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Now, once again, we're reading a lot throughout the book of Judges during this sermon series. We're gonna read more because it's historical narrative here. But we see after 18 years of suffering that the Israelites are assembled. uh, The the enemy wants to absolutely crush and destroy them now. Um, But here's the problem. They've got their army ready. They're there, but they have no one to lead the army. There's no general. Now, I don't know where they missed that when they were like, hey, we should assemble our army, but we have no one to lead the army. I don't know how that got crossed up, but, but, they, but they're there. And, and then they're like, oh, well, who's going to lead this? Well, you're not. I'm clearly not. You're not. Who's going to lead it? And all of a sudden, we are introduced to, to two truths. One, if the spirit of God is moving in something, and in people. He will always call, equip, and empower whoever he needs to pull off his mission and plan. You can trust it over and over again in Scripture. The Holy Spirit will always come through if it's God's will, every time. So that's one truth. The second uh, uh, truth that we really uh, see uh, here is, is, is we're introduced to this mighty warrior, right? This mighty warrior named Jephthah, okay? Now, what's so interesting about Jephthah is is what? I mean, one, he's the illegitimate son of a prostitute who was driven out of his home, out of his homeland, by his half-brothers. And so what do we know about this guy? He comes from a deeply dysfunctional family. Deeply. And, and, And not only that, but then he's out in this wilderness and, and, and he literally collects this band of, 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 of just like the, the people that nobody, the people that have been discarded and all that. So, so essentially he's the leader of these outlaws out in the, the wilderness and they're following his leadership, this mighty warrior. And so here we have this outcast, this criminal from a broken home. Yet God says, I'm going to use him to be the savior of my people. Are you guys catching this? Are you, are you starting to see the heart of God here? Please nod your heads. He could have picked anybody, right? could have picked anybody. There were more qualified people. There were people that had great families, great history, great lineage. Uh, There were were people that came from the cookie cutter, uh, you know, Christian home, all these things, people without the baggage, people that haven't been sent away, people that were waiting for the Lord to use them. And yet God goes out of his way to say, hey, church, listen to me. This is what I specialize in. I specialize in taking the foolishness and confounding the wise. I specialize in taking people from broken backgrounds, broken homes, who the world, who, who, who Christians have discarded and said, you have no value, you have no worth, you're disqualified, all these things. And God, like only God can, intervenes into their life, pulls them out of what they were doing and says, I wanna use you. Isn't that amazing? I think of this church, I think of all the people that I've met with with crazy backgrounds, crazy histories, crazy family stories, and and so many of us throughout our lives have have held on to those things, or we continue to go back to those things and those struggles, and and, and what we do is essentially, we continue to disqualify ourselves, we continue to say, well, he can't use me, Uh, I'm not the one that that, that should do that, all of these things, and yet God's like, I want to guard you from that thinking, so I'm going to choose this guy named Jephthah. And there's nobody that's going to go, wow, that makes sense. And, and let's be honest, you guys. We always preach this. I even preached this. I was convicted of this. Like, if you're ready and you're willing and you're waiting, he's going to get you. Okay? Hopefully I've never said it like that or you're, at, that was weird. Okay? Um, I'm not that pastor. Okay. But <laughs> let's get that out now. Let's just vomit that. Okay? What we see, though, which is amazing Jephthah's not out in the wilderness on a fast waiting for the Lord. Is he? He's out there leading bandits. He's like a pirate. And God intervenes into that setting, that person's life. He says, I want you. I love that, you guys, because I know when he got a hold of my life, I wasn't, I was a mess. I know that so many uh, of us in this room, and, and maybe you were a mess last night. This was so beautiful about this. I don't care what you did last night. God can still today say, I want you. I want to use you. Let's go. I've got a plan and a purpose. It's beyond what you think. It's beyond what you think you deserve. It's beyond what you think you can take credit for and, uh, and all those things, but, but let's go. And so you guys, uh, God can call you, he can save you, he can use you, but it's up to you to receive that, to respond. And so these, these leaders then, they, they, they realize we have no one else left. Do you think that he was their first option? <laughs> no. So they go and, and, and they approach Jephthah and they're like, hey, <laughs> here's the reality. We're gonna get crushed. We need you. You are great at fighting and great at leading people. Like we, we know it, we're not that. And, and Jephthah's like, okay, seriously, I know. I know why you're here. They're, and they literally own it. They're like, yep, we are here. We are out of options. We own it. We've already had this dialogue with the Lord. So we're just there, so let's do it, yep. And, and, and Jephthah's like, well, if I go back, I'm gonna be your judge. And, and, and they're so desperate, they're like, yes, you will be our judge. You will be the leader over Israel. And so Jephthah confirms that they mean what they say, and then he uh, says, all right, I'm going to lead you in this. He accepts that judgeship, and he is going to lead their army. Now, what we see in verses 12 through 28 is Jephthah doesn't go to war immediately. Okay, that's really important. First, he seeks a peaceful resolution to this conflict. And so what he does is he messages the king of these enemies, and he he says, hey, what's going on? Why are you guys uh, in our area, and why are you trying to destroy us? What what is causing you to want to do this? And so the king of the Ammonites, he he literally says, "Uh, you are in land that belongs to us. This is ours, and you've been occupying it. Now, Jephthah responds, and he uses three arguments to that case. Uh, And the first is just historical. And and, and he says, listen, uh, in his response, when Israel, when we came out of the land of Egypt, we we went by the Edomites, the the Moabites that lived in the land south of Arnon. And and we asked them, hey, can we just travel through? They said, no. And so you know what we did? We walked around them as inconvenient as that was. Uh, They refused. Then we traveled to this land, the land that you have an issue with, And we asked for uh, the king of the Amorites, whose name was Sihon. We we said, hey, can we just travel through? He said not only no, but then he attacked us. And guess what? We defeated him, fair and square. And so by right of, of conquest, this is our land that we fairly won from the Amorites. You're not even the Amorites. Then he goes to the the belief that the other nations generally had, which was if they conquered an area, they would say it was our God that gave us your land, that gave us the victory. So Jephthah says, hey, let me speak your language. The God of Israel empowered us to have victory in that battle. And so it's the God of Israel who wants us to have this land. And And he literally says, you guys do the same thing with your God. So that's the second thing he does. Then the third thing he does is he says, listen, we're talking about a piece of property here that's been three centuries ours. Three centuries. And during that time, the ones who actually could have made a claim that we defeated, they never had a problem with it. They know we won that fair and square. And all throughout the last 300 years, none of your kings have made us think about this. Nobody's brought it up. So why in the world would you bring it up now? Because 300 years in this territory, I mean, it's ours, and he doesn't listen. The king does not listen to them at all. And so then war is inevitable, and this is what we read in chapter 11, verse 29. It says, then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead, I know that's a mouthful, he passed on to the Ammonites, And and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them. And the Lord gave them into his hand and he struck them from error to the neighborhood of Minnith, 20 cities, and as far as abel Karamim with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him, with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low you have become the cause of great trouble for me. For I've opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. She said to him, my father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity. I and my companions. So he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months and she departed. She and her companions and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite for four days in the year. Okay, now let's just get this out of the way. That is a terrible story. It's terrible. It's conveniently out of my kids' children Bible. But what we see first and foremost is the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah, right? Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah. You are going to be enabled, empowered. Victory is yours. But then as Jephthah goes to fight the enemy, what happens? He makes this vow to the Lord. He says, God, if you will give me victory here, uh, whatever comes out of my house, the first thing that comes out of my house, when I get back, I will offer up on a burnt offering to you. If you give me this victory, God, that's what I'll do. And so Jephthah goes in to fight this victory, uh, to fight this battle, and the Lord gives him incredible victory. It's such an incredible victory that in Hebrews 11:32 he's mentioned as one of the heroes of of the faith. In other words, this is a huge by faith moment and by faith victory for uh, Jephthah. And so, so the, the incredible champion here. And so he he literally teaches all of us that that in spite of what you've been, what where you were at in life, God can still use you by faith. And absolutely anybody can make a choice to live by faith. But then he returns home and he returns home. He's feeling good. Uh, Life is great. Everyone knows. Word's gotten out. We are victorious and I'm the new judge. I can't think of like a better strut that he, I mean, there's not more of a strut than he had walking home. He's feeling good. And he goes and... The first thing that comes out of his house, and he's promised, God, I'm going to offer that up a burn offering to you, is his, his daughter, his, his only child. The Bible literally says he had no other son. He had no other daughter. And there's his daughter, his only child, this miracle girl, running out to greet her dad, because she loves him. I've said this before, there's no greater feeling in my day than when I pull into the garage and the kids run out. There's no greater feeling. And there she is. He's devastated, absolutely devastated. Facing the reality of this vow that he made to the Lord. He shares with his daughter what he said, and remarkably, this girl, this little girl says, you need to do what you said you're going to do. And then she says, just give me, give me two months to go just mourn, mourn the life I'm not going to have, the family I'm not going to have, the husband I'm not going to have. Let me go mourn that. So she goes and she mourns for two months and she returns and her father honors his vow. Now, Many people have interpreted Jephthah as promising God an animal sacrifice here. So so he was expecting an animal to come out of the house, but if an animal was meant, the noun would have been in a different form in the Hebrew. it, It actually can't be even translated, whoever comes out of my house. And if the daughter, and if it was about an animal and the daughter came out of the house, it wouldn't matter, would it? Oh, you're not an animal, right? But no, And then there's other interpreters who will take this passage, and these aren't like a horrible interpretations, but there's other uh, interpreters who will who will go. Oh, she is mourning over the fact that, that she's going to have to be uh, celibate uh, her whole life. She's set aside. Uh, she's never going to get married and all that. And 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 so that's what she's mourning. And so this is this is more about uh, the life that now he's he's promised that 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 she's the Lord's now and set aside to uh, perpetual to be a perpetual virgin, essentially the rest of her life and. And yet it really doesn't line up when you read it and study it and see how she mourns, how he mourns. And the wording here, what we see is Jephthah has promised to make a human sacrifice to God if God gives him victory. And, and, And we clearly know he was expecting someone else to come out. But what this, what this really shows us is how deeply impacted and affected Jephthah has been by the pagan cultures that surround him. This, the, I, I mean, this is, this is a huge warning for us. This is one of those uh, flares in the air moment, at least for me when I was reading it, because it shows us that I can still believe in God, uh, give God credit for what uh, he is doing and and hold on to the truth of my salvation. Yet I can still in that allow uh, literally the culture, a culture that honors, serves, glorifies, not God. I can allow that at the same time to squeeze its way into my life. and squeeze its way into where I start taking on and acting in a certain way that reflects the culture, not God's design for my life, or what's even honoring to the Lord, right? That's why Paul in Romans 12, two was so clear, right? He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. He says, test it first. We've stopped testing, haven't we? We just kind of go with what culture does. And, and, and it's literally like, like we know where God stands on human sacrifice. If you don't, welcome to church. God is not into this right? Like Deuteronomy 12, 31, he's very clear. clear. Uh, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every uh, abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. He says, that is not me. That is not what I'm about. He is not into human sacrifice. The only sacrifice he's into with you is your self-sacrifice. And self-sacrifice is when I say, God, I give you lordship over every area of my life. That's what he's into, and, and and that is is in no way uh, me trying to earn his favor uh, or, or any way uh, anything like that. It comes out of the favor that he's given me, uh, that I I follow him, uh, that I allow him to transform my heart and my mind, and so I I think of the things that that happens in our lives where we allow the, the worldly way of doing things, it, it, we allow it to come in and to live alongside our, our, our true beliefs, just as, as he did. And, and so it changes our attitudes towards the very things that deep down we would say, man, I'm against that. Or I'm aware that that's not right. See, Jephthah was literally infected by a pagan works-based righteousness, understanding of God's character. See human sacrifice in those days was how you could buy off essentially a pagan God. It, it was a vow that you could make and, and just to show this God how committed you are, if that God will give you uh, victory. And so what his vow was when he made it was, it, it was ultimately a bargain with the Lord. He's like, I, I'm going to show you just how much I love you if you give me this victory. If you'll give me victory, I, man, I'll sacrifice for you. I, I, I'll, I'll sacrifice. Jephthah thought the Lord needed to be impressed, but God had already decided to save his people and to use him to do so. Why in the world did he keep this vow? And the best answer is the same reason that he made it in the first place. He sees God just like these pagan gods in a lot of ways. He looks at God as one who he can earn favor from. And he believes literally that he cannot confess that sin. He believes he has to show his obedience to this God by sacrificing his daughter, You guys, clearly, this teaches, one, us to be very careful with our words. Amen? We need to be careful with our words. In fact, uh, we need to just agree with the psalmist in Psalm 141.3, where he says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Some of us need to pray that every day. Amen? Yeah, you know who you are. I'm one of you. But here's the reality today. Many of us are more affected by our culture than we are our Bible. And, 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 and it's crazy because we don't even realize it. Why we don't realize it is because... Uh the infection that's happened, it hasn't asked us to not go to church. It hasn't asked us to not read our Bibles. It hasn't asked us to not acknowledge that I'm a believer in Jesus. It hasn't done that. It's conveniently lodged its way into my life uh, to where it slowly uh, moves me into looking and viewing at my life, my morality, uh, my decision-making process, not only now through the lens of scripture, but through the lens of what is now just socially acceptable. Uh, You you know, I think of like an easy one is like TV shows now. Okay, like TV shows now are absolutely crazy compared to the TV shows I grew up with. Now, I don't like watch TV hardly, man, I I hardly ever watch like TV. Um, You know, and I'm not saying that because you should just never, like, I'm not being that. Like, but I don't, and and so. Uh, but I remember as a kid, like I remember when I was allowed to watch Seinfeld. That was like a big thing. I just dated myself. That was not good. But, <laughs> but I remember, like like okay, you're mature enough now, and it was like this moment where my parents were like, "All right, you can handle this content," and I think now. The content that is socially acceptable. The imagery, the shows, what's in these shows, what's in these shows that, that Christians are telling me I need to watch. Guys, I'm going to be honest. There was one show that a bunch of people, they were Christians, said, you need to watch this. We started watching it. And all of a sudden, I went, ah! I literally reacted like that, and I turned it off. And Lindsay's like, did you know that was in there? I am like, hmm And I go, what is going on? Like shows have changed. Now, how do they change? Culture changed. It's socially acceptable. And what do we do when when we're watching that and engaging that? And guys, I could go down the list of all the ways culturally. I mean, uh, what happened to Sundays? Does anyone know? Yeah, it's gone, isn't it? Boy, I grew up Sundays were, were kind of a set aside time, right? Places were closed, all that. And Sundays now are just whatever, right? And, and, and so uh, you, you look at like just cultural things that have shifted and you go, oh my goodness. Like, uh, and, and we're, it's just normal. It's not even like a thing we talk about. It's just very normal. And, and I think one of the dangers with this is we look at the patterns of the nation of Israel and, and, and the pattern where they continue to find themselves going right back into idolatry, right back into the thing is what? I can handle this now. I'm good. Uh, This doesn't bother me. I'm mature beyond that now. Things have changed. I've changed. I'm more mature when my relationship with God. And when it comes to what I watch, my spouse is with me. We're good. I don't struggle with that anymore, God. I think we just talked about that, didn't we? That's what the enemy wants to do. And so we've got to look at Jephthah and go, what? Blind spots do I have when it comes to what culture is getting me to move towards? And then lastly, in closing, we see that in chapter 12, it says, verse one, the men of Ephraim were called to arms and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites, and when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim, and the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, you are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, are you an Ephraimite? When he said, no, they said to him, then say Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. Guys, here's, here's what we see here at the very end. This is the end of his life. Right after that, it says, Jephthah judged Israel six years. And that's the end of his life. What happens here in in chapter 12? You guys, the very same people that that were mad at Gideon for not including them in the glory, the Ephraimites, they approach uh, Jephthah and they say, hey, we missed out on the glory of victory in battle, and you didn't give that to us, except they're not complaining this time. They threaten him. They said, we're going to burn your house down on you. Now, I wasn't there. Jephthah, to me, is not the guy you threatened. It's just not, my mind. And so they threaten him, and he, he explains what happened. He explains, listen, I called you. You didn't show up, and, and that. And so they resort to taunting him another bad move. And so he says, okay, gathers his men together and they absolutely slaughter. And why is this so sad? Why is this horrible? These are the people of God slaughtering the people of God. It's awful. You think God's up there just going, God is mourning this. This is awful and they're not letting them escape. The Ephraimites that fled, it says that they captured all the ways in the the spots where you could cross the Jordan. And and, and they literally had a word that the Ephraimites had to say, but they had a different regional uh, dialect. And so they couldn't pronounce it right. So they would say, oh, are you an Ephraimite? No. uh, They say, say this word. They couldn't say it right. They'd kill And so literally 42,000 of them are slaughtered. And you guys go, man, how in the world does that happen where he would Be so diplomatic, peaceful with the enemy, and yet be willing to slaughter his own people. And sometimes the church is a lot nicer. People that call themselves Christians sometimes are a lot nicer to the people that they work with, that they surround themselves with, that have nothing to do with God than they are with the people of God. And that is sad. And ultimately, it comes back to sometimes the greatest problem with the church is the church. And we see Jephthah was judged for six years, but no peace is mentioned, is it? Which is just sad. And so these three things that I think we need to ask this morning, before we just go to a time of worship and response, is this. Are you treating yourself like your past has disqualified you from being used by God. That's the first thing. Second, it, idolatry goes to slavery and slavery to idolatry. What is it that you keep pursuing even if it's already revealed that it's going to let you down? And then lastly, what are your blind spots in regards to culture? It's literally hijacking your motives, your heart, and your relationship with God, and maybe you don't even see it. What is that for you? Guys, let's just go to the Lord, and let's allow him to speak to our hearts and bring about transformation. Let's pray.